Join with me, please, in the book of Daniel this morning. I'm so thankful for all that Christ has done for us. And I always am thankful for the opportunity we have to grow together in Christ. And as we look together in the book of Daniel, it has been an encouraging time to watch Daniel uh, as in the early part of the book, we see that God is using these stories of Daniel to build our faith and help us to have a greater yearning and desire to walk after him. But I see that when we look in today's lesson in Daniel chapter 2, we see that Daniel is learning a lesson that is of utmost importance, not just uh, for his life, but for our life as well. You see, because God is reminding us of his sufficiency. When I say the word sufficient, what do you think of? Help me answer out loud. If I say, well, that's sufficient, what do you think? Say that. Meeting the need. Good. Someone else? Enough. Good. What else? Anybody have anything different you want to add? Some good, good thoughts. And so at the first service, they were a little bit more awake. I'm not going to lie. They had a few more options. But, uh, but, you know, we think about sufficiency. And, you know, if I'm going to take a trip, then I want to make sure I have a sufficient gas in the car to be able to make that trip, right? If not, I want to know that I can stop somewhere along the way and fill up. Well, here's the incredible thing about, uh, about sufficiency. It, is, it simply means I need nothing else. I am completely satisfied. It's adequate for the purpose. And as someone else mentioned, it's enough. That's what it means to be sufficient. And Jesus Christ is sufficient. And no matter what we may go through in life, we can experience that God is more than enough for us. He is truly the all-sufficient Savior. And as Daniel shares with us today this story from Daniel chapter 2, we see that that God brings a dream to Nebuchadnezzar. And in this dream, this, this vision, if you will, God reveals a plan. But in that process, Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel both learn that the God of, uh, of heaven is truly enough. So I don't know what you've been through. I don't know exactly all the, the things that you've gone through this week. But this is what I know, is that wherever you feel like you're lacking or in, uh, in need today, I want you to draw close because the Lord has promised us that He is enough today. And so as we look at this, I just want to just kind of give you a bird's eye view. We're going to read the entirety of Daniel chapter 2 today because I love Scripture. And Scripture says it so much better than I can. And so, but we're going to break it up into two different readings so it's not so much all at once. But in Daniel chapter 2, it reveals that there's trouble in the palace of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar has woken up and he was having disturbing dreams and, and he couldn't understand what was happening. And so uh, literally he calls upon uh, he calls upon uh, the wise men to come and interpret and tell him what's going on. But here's the thing. He couldn't remember the dream and he didn't share the dream. And he wanted to not only tell the dream, but also the interpretation. The failure was going to be death. If they couldn't do it, they were going to die. And so the, all of these wise men of the time, they were tasked with this. But I, I'm just so thankful that God brought Daniel into the picture. At the time when things seemed so bleak, Daniel... And the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, we see that God arose here mightily in this moment and He was uh, manifests His power and His sufficiency in their greatest hour of need. And so let's look at Daniel chapter 2. We're going to read the first 30 verses together at this time. It says, In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans, for to show them the, uh, show the king his dreams. So they stood and could, came and stood before the king. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. 
Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever, tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, Well, the thing is gone from me. If you will not, uh, if you will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made a dunghill. That's motivation at work right there, amen? In verse number 6, he says, But if you show the dream and the interpretation thereof, you shall receive of me great gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. And they answered again and said, well, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation of it. And the king answered and said, I know of certainty that ye would gain the time, because ye see the thing is gone from me. But if you will not make known unto, unto me the dream, there is but one decree from you, for you. Ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that ye shall show me the interpretation thereof. The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asks such things of any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth, and there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods for dwell, uh, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Now, they did get something right. Man couldn't do it. Amen? In verse number 12, For this cause the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth with the, that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to the slay the wise men of Babylon. And he answered and said unto Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and he would show the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His, and He changeth the seasons and the times. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light, uh, and the light dwelleth with Him. I thank Thee and praise Thee, O Thou God of my fathers, who hath given me wisdom and might and hast made known unto me now what we desired of Thee. For Thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went in unto Arioch, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show thee, uh, unto the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said unto him, I have found a man of the captive of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? And Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But... There is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets, 
and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of, uh, of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed, what uh, should come to pass hereafter. And he revealeth secrets and maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any uh, living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. Let's stop and pray there. Father, thank you again for the reading of the scripture. Would you just, Lord, open our hearts, our ears to the message today. Lord, that we might know, Lord, through, uh, through all that Daniel went through in his life. God, that you are sufficient. That you are more than enough for every need that we may ever have. We praise you, God, for this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look here this morning, we see that uh, these dreams that Daniel talked about are going to d- depict some great things that we'll talk about next week and more in depth. But as we see this, this is really all that's happening in Daniel chapter 2 is, this, uh, is King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that has been hidden from him. And so as we see this, uh, we see that Daniel and, and all the wise men are tasked with revealing this. Daniel uh, chapter 2 verses 1 through 9, we see that the, kind of the unfolding of the beginning of the story. Have you ever woken in the morning and know that you dreamed, but you couldn't remember any of the details? Anybody else have that happen to them? Amen. You know, I have that happen all the time, except for the bad dreams. I can always remember the bad ones. You know, I've got one dream that I I will have frequently. I'm not going to share with you today because I don't want you to know what what my nightmare is. But, but you, some people have that nightmare, they're falling, falling, always falling. And before they, wake, before they hit the bottom, they wake up. Anybody have those? Okay, a few of you, good. And, but you know, dreams can, can be something that scares you. You know, I, there's been many times I woke up in the middle of the night and, and I thought my dream was so real. Anybody had that happen? Yeah, I mean, dreams are, are something, something incredible. Uh, but in Nebuchadnezzar's life, this was a significant, a significant dream. This was a very disturbing night for him because the king who had, had slept through the evening had woken up in a cold sweat this night. And, and he just, you, you see in verse number one, he says that he was troubled and his sleep break from him. You, almost, you can almost picture him in his, in his uh, uh, lavish chambers there as he's sleeping in his bed and waking up in sweat and just perspiring heavily and saying, Lord, uh, what in the world is going on? He'd never dreamed such a dream before. And it was so, such great importance that uh, it is actually recorded and the time is marked. He says in verse 1, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I want to just clarify a couple of things because in Daniel chapter 1, we see that Daniel and his friends were in three years in training uh, in in Babylon. And so in that three years of training, at the very beginning of that time, we see that Nebuchadnezzar was not yet the sole king of, of Babylon. At this point, at the very beginning of Babylon, he was a co-ruler, if you will, with his father, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And so uh, as he then transitions in chapter 2, we see him as the sole king after a couple of years had passed. And so here he is as the, the one king. And, and I believe firmly that there was, uh, God was using this time to, uh, to reveal some things to the king early in his kingship. But we'll get to that in a minute. But as a lost man, he took no comfort in these dreams that he saw. And to, next week we'll look in depth at, the, at these dreams and what all they mean. And they, they're not just important to Babylon, they're important to America today. 
They're important to what will happen next for us as believers. It's key to unlocking some of Daniel 7, some of Revelation. It's an incredible thing that God's laid out for us. And, and then the awesome thing is, living in 2020, we actually see how that God has answered and fulfilled some of this great vision that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had. And so it's an incredible thing. I hope that you will join us next week as we talk more about that. But I want to give you a big picture of all that's happening in context. I want to stay in that context. But we see here that through his fear, the king was afraid. And there was very concerned about all that was going on. And so in Daniel chapter number 2, and beginning in verse number 4, we see that, that, that the king begins to work with these Chaldeans and these soothsayers and these magicians. And he's working with them. And he summons this deluge of people to come and to give him wisdom regarding all that's happening. These, this deluge was not rain as we're praying for right now. Amen. Uh, some of you us got a little bit of rain yesterday, but we need a whole lot more, and we're praying for that. But this was a deluge of what they would call, quote-unquote, wise men. Wise men that his father had amassed from different nations they had conquered. Wise men from around the world who were not men of great wisdom from God, but great uh, men of great worldly wisdom. As a matter of fact, their knowledge had been gained from practicing and practices involving the cults. And so these various classes of Chaldeans, verse number 2 talks about this, and the king commanded to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. And so I wanted to very quickly just mention what these were uh, as we look at these different classifications. And so the first one is those astrologers he mentioned, the magicians, excuse me. Magicians were those who uh, used uh, incantations and they used special spells in order to, uh, to repel demons and other evil spirits. There was also astrologers that was mentioned next, and these were prophets who cast horoscopes and studied the stars, and uh, they, uh, in, in their own uh, pride they pr pronounced the will of heaven and predicted the future. Then there were sorcerers. These were literally wizards, if you will. These were people who were practicing in the occult. And so, and, and I'll just say that this is not unique to Nebuchadnezzar or Nebuchadnezzar, but, but they, were, uh, they were very commonly found. We see that King Saul referenced one. We saw even before that that Pharaoh kept these in his own court in Exodus chapter 7 and verse number 11. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. Now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their incantation. So we see that they are involved in this kind of worldly wisdom, this uh, uh, occult practices, if you will, that usurps the Lord's authority and rebels against all things godly. And that is why God pronounces in the law a command and an instruction in Exodus chapter 22 and verse number 18. He says, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. And so God knew it was important. He says, I don't want you to be in, uh, influenced by these, these wicked worshipers of Satan. But instead, I want you to make sure that you are separate. And then he mentions Chaldeans. And the Chaldeans were a special class. And they were distinct from ordinary Babylonians, even though they belonged to southern Babylon. But they seem to have comprised of a special class of priesthood. They were the elite, if you will, of those that practiced and worshipped Baal Merodach. And so they came for exclusively from the line of the, and the lineage of the Chaldeans, and they uh, were relied upon heavily by Nebuchadnezzar and his father. I said all this to say that he, in his own worldly wisdom, the king summoned all of these worldly counselors so that they could get advice from, so he could get advice to know what to happen. 
And he didn't know, he, or at least he didn't reveal the, re, the, the dream. Uh, you know, there's some commentators that, that say that this was a time of testing for them. But, but regardless, we see that at this point, he summoned all of these, these smart people, if you will, to the, the kingdom. Now, Daniel wasn't a part of this, but as they assembled some of the other top uh, people, he wanted them to reveal to him what was going on. And so there was a demand that was made. And the de- demand was very simply put, Tell me the dream and the interpretation. It wasn't enough just to simply say the interpretation because they could have lied about the interpretation. They could have made up anything. And so he wanted to know. And so he put them to, through a testing of truth. And so many so-called wise men uh, that were inherited by his father's dynasty, he wanted to test them. Would they, would they really tell the truth? Look at verse number 9 with me. Just look at what he says. About halfway through the verse, he says, For ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. Therefore, tell me the dream. He says, listen, you have, you have spun your last lie. At this point, I want to know if you're real or not. Are you really, do you really know the future? Do you, can you really help me with this? Or are you just a, a bunch of hoaxes? And, and I'm just so thankful that God allowed this time of testing to come. And so as, as we look at this in Nebuchadnezzar's life, he was looking for truth. Could they tell the truth or could they not? And may I just say that they fell flat on their face. They, they, they just couldn't do anything. They, and they, they couldn't tell him what the dream was. And as a result, they couldn't make up an interpretation. I want to be very plain here today because oftentimes what happens in Christian circles is we begin to read horoscopes and we begin to to accept some of these things into our life as normal. And very plainly, let me just say that psychics, enchanters, sorcerers, horoscopes, whatever name you have for it, they are not of God. They are completely the opposite of that. They are satanic and they rely heavily upon occult practices. And so I wanted you just to, to very, very distinctly draw a, land, a line in the sand here in your mind and say, listen, I will not participate in that nonsense. That means I'm not going to download today's horoscope app. That means I'm not going to go to, to Facebook and, and look for that special group that will tell me what my future is going to be. I'm not looking for that nonsense. Instead, I'm going to rely upon the Word of God. I'm not relying upon world's wisdom. I'm relying on uh, uh, God's wisdom. I'm not going to go uh, and follow all of these lies and this, this heresy. Instead, I'm going to follow God's Word. Let me just say, if you're dabbling in occult practices, which is horoscopes, Ouija boards, incantations of black magic, uh, and, and it can go on and on. And listen, they're not going to say very uh, obviously that this is satanic. It's going to be very subtle. But let me just say that you are in danger. If you know someone who is participating in the, these things, they're in danger. You're, you're involving yourself in satanic gods, and they will very quickly make dupes of your mind and your person. Let me just, just point to one example. During WW2, prior to that, there was a man named Adolf Hitler. We know who he is, don't we? Adolf Hitler became very involved in the occult and became very involved with a, a, aligning and a getting as many of these false worshipers of Satan around him. Now, he also surrounded himself with people who proposed to be Christians as well, but he was trying to simply dupe people and to confuse them. And if we follow Hitler and we follow all that happened in Nazi Germany, we see that, that they were lured away by these evil spirits. And before we knew what was happening, the entire world was left affected 
by their deception. Listen, it is not something to play with. It's not fun and games. This is serious. And that's why I'm so thankful that in Daniel chapter 2, what we learn is that God is the one that we need. This world is going to fall flat on its face and all of its ideas and ideologies are going to fail. As a matter of fact, uh, Dr. Spock, if you remember, anybody remember Dr. Benjamin Spock from the 70s, I think it was? And he said, don't ever spank your children. It'll ruin them. It'll corrupt them. What happened to his children? Does anybody know? They were destroyed. They went to prison and jail, and later he finally recanted and said, we messed up big time. Listen, when we follow the world's philosophy, we follow the world that we're going to find that it's going to fall flat on its face, and that's why we, we need a deliverance by the Lord. He is the only sufficient one. And so we want to draw our attention now to Daniel in verse number 14. As he says, then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom. I'm so thankful that Daniel walked with the Lord. I'm thankful that he was willing to take a stand for God, even at the risk of his own life. Daniel was able to say, listen, I I have confidence in the Lord. I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he which is able. And listen, we we can have great confidence in him today. And so Daniel, he says, listen, let me just answer you with wisdom and counsel. And, and his reputation and his testimony was such that, that the Arioch listened and went to the king and said, listen, I, I, there's a guy who just thinks he might know. What an incredible testimony that Daniel had. And I want you to look back at Daniel chapter 1 and verse number 20. When we left Daniel last week, this is what was said of him. It says, in all manners of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. Daniel and his friends were men above men. They were men who had great wisdom. And this is, this is what made them such was their prayerful trust. They knew what it was to trust in the Lord with all their heart. Lean not into their own understanding. They're not going to trust this worldly wisdom. Instead, they're going to come over here and say, God, we want to fall on our knees and we want to trust you through each and every situation we can encounter. And so verse number 17, we see where Daniel went to his house. He learned of the crisis. He learned of what was going on. And instead of going to some lonely shrine on a hillside to pray, he simply went home. He said, God, you meet with me in my home and you meet with me there and I'm just going to come to you. And we learn later in Daniel chapter 6 that Daniel was a man who knew what it was to meet with God in prayer on a regular basis. He knew what it was to love the Lord, to walk with God. He knew what it was to pray and to seek His face. And he went home and he prayed. His religion wasn't something that was just in a church building. His religion wasn't something that was located at a shrine. His religion was something that was personal because he knew the Lord. He knew that God was sufficient. He was removed from the tabernacle of Jerusalem, but he had found that God is faithful no matter where he was planted. And let me just say, Christian, today, no matter what may happen going forward, we can find that God is faithful. But listen, we've got to be willing to invest in that everyday willingness to just come before the Lord and cry out to Him. He is the one that we need to walk with. So he gathered Hananiah. He gathered Mishael. He gathered Azariah. And he said, pray. Church, pray. He said, listen, guys, he said, he said, this is serious. He said, we're counted in this. Listen, this is a life or death situation for him. This is not, I just want to be a good old boy and help out someone else. This is life and death. Because if they couldn't, if God didn't answer, then Daniel and his friends would also be killed by Nebuchadnezzar. You say, well, that seems too harsh. Listen, it was not America in 2020. It, we're, we're talking very... Uh, Very strict. And we saw where he had done it earlier through history as well. But I appreciate so much, Daniel, 
And I thank the Lord for him because as he went and he made known unto Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he, he said that, he said, let us call upon God. He says that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret. Listen, this was the God of heaven. This was a personal God. This was not just some mysterious person, but this was someone that he personally knew. And because he personally knew him, he was not remote like the stargazer's God. He was a person that, he, he could, that, that when he walked with the Lord, he knew that he could have peace in, in the midst of the storm. He knew that when, it, when, he was, uh, was, when he was going through great trial, that God was walking with him through it. Listen, he knew God. He didn't just know about God. Even the devils know about God and they tremble. But do you know Him personally? Because God wants you to know Him like Daniel knew Him. Know Him that He's sufficient for everything. Not just salvation, but every direction that we walk and every, everything that we must go through, we find that God is sufficient. Man, what an incredible thing that allowed Daniel and his friends just to be able to find rest in that moment. And so they, he rested. Verse number 19, we see that the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. He went to bed. And the God said, let me just share with you. Daniel and his friends, they prayed. Maybe they skipped a meal that night. They said, Lord, this is more serious than food. We're going to fast tonight. And we're just going to ask God that you would deliver an answer for us. Help us, Lord, to know. And so he would just prayed and sought the Lord. And then verse number 20. I love verse 20 through 23 because he says uh, his prayer gave way to this incredible praise. As he says in verse number 20, Then Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. What a glorious thing God has done. What an incredible miracle that God has wrought. Here in this moment, Daniel experienced that God is sufficient for everything. God is not both omniscient, knowing all things, and omnipotent. He is able to remove, uh, um, remove kings, and He's able to, to reveal secrets. He rules over the times and the seasons. He rules over the rise and the fall of empires, over the tides and the affairs of men that may uh, mark the destiny of nations. Listen, He knew to praise God. Verse number 24, let me just share with you the testimony of Daniel. Because as the news broke that morning, he went to Arioch and he said, Listen, don't destroy the wise men. He says, I've got great news. God's revealed. Listen, where the world's wisdom failed, God has come through. Listen, when we're trusting in the world's wisdom, it's going to fail us at some point. But when we trust in the Lord, we're going to find that He is faithful every step of the way. Church, let me just encourage you. Look at, look at Daniel's testimony here. Then Daniel went into Arioch. And the king had testimony, and excuse me, who had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. And he went and said thus to him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king. He said, listen, God has given me the answer. He says, I will answer. I will demonstrate. I will show this to the king. Listen, this incredible testimony is, is so awesome. Instead of saying, look at all the great things I have done, Daniel takes a moment and he says, let me point out, what God has done. Verse number 27, look there. I love that verse 26, the king answered, asked Daniel, what are, are you able? But verse 27, Daniel answered. He said, the secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. Why? Because in man's power, in man's ability, we're unable. 
in the worldly wisdom where there's no way that we can possibly do the impossible. And I'm thankful that, that Trice reminds his disciples that with God all things are possible. And so in verse number 28 he says, but there is a God in heaven. Amen? We, we could put an exclamation point right there and say, listen, with all that's going on, you just need to be reminded in this polytheistic nation where they serve all kinds of different gods, I want you to know that these are not real. These shrines that you have on the hillside, they're fake. These stars that you worship in the sky, they are not real. All of these things that you think are so wonderful, they're not real. But there is a God in heaven, and that's the God we serve today. And he says, listen, this is the God, this Jehovah, this Elohim, this is the one who, who I want you to point to that, that gives the answer, that is able to, to reveal secrets, that is able to cast down kingdoms. This is the God that we're dealing with here. And so Daniel says, let me just share with you who I serve. This is my testimony of praise in this moment. This is my testimony. And so as we see that, there's a great declaration of truth in this moment because he wants them to know who God is. And so he begins, verses 31, all the way through verse number uh, 46, and he shares with him the vision. We're going to take more time next week to talk about the vision, but I just want to just share a couple of, uh, I want to read this text with you before we get too deep into this, but I just want to share with you that, that this is just a powerful uh, portion of Scripture that God has given us. Let's read this first. Daniel says, Thou, O king... Sawest and behold a great image. This great image whose brightness was excellent stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of clay and part of iron. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet, and that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces." Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. And we will tell thee the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings. For the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath, hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes and part of a potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron and mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the ten feet... Uh, Excuse me, for, and as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. 
and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. And so, in verse 46, we see this great declaration of truth. In verse number 47 especially. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, worshipped Daniel, and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors to him. And the king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of, of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. Then Daniel requested of the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. We see this at, at this moment, and though there's so much here in these verses 31 through 46, uh, 45 there, uh, we'll get to much of that next week, but I just want to see that uh, it's such a beautiful picture of the return of Christ. And I can't wait to share with you next week all that God has laid out for us in that, uh, that vision there. But in Nebuchadnezzar's life, he recognized that the worldly wisdom that he had been trusting in, and all of these great things that he thought were so marvelous, and all of these things that he had been told all his life that were truth fell down and were, were worthless in the face of God's truth. You see, Daniel said, let me tell you who God is. It's not the God that you're worshiping through these sorcerers. It's not the God that you're practicing and you're offering these false things to. It is God alone. The God of the Bible, church, let me tell you today, we, that's who we worship today. And many of us maybe feel duped because the world has told us, well, you've got to believe this and you've got to do this and there's many ways to heaven. And, and I'll tell you that you can't know real truth. But Christ has told us and revealed to us that He is truth. That we can know Him and we can be known by Him. As a matter of fact, if you look in 8, chapter 31, excuse me, John 8, 31 and 32, we see that when Christ came to this earth, He boldly declared this statement to those that followed Him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on Him, If you continue in My word, then you are My disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You see, it's the truth of God's word that sets a heart free. It's the truth of God's Word that, that releases the, the captive. It's the truth of God's Word that says, let me just show you what it's like to, to really to know the freedom and experience that only God can give us. It's, it's not going to be found in the world's devices, in the world's wisdom. It is only through Christ. And today, I, I can't stress enough this need for us to truly to come to Jesus Christ and to know Him. Because He said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man come to the Father but by me. It's only Jesus Christ. You see, not everyone wants to believe this, but, but when you turn to Jesus Christ, we see that, that, that He is the truth we're looking for. Many people, and one of the saddest, there's two sad stories in the Bible I want to share with you very briefly. First one is Pontius Pilate. 
as Pontius Pilate was looking at Jesus Christ and he was telling him the charges that were against him and, and Jesus was re- referring back to him and as they were having this conversation, Pontius Pilate in the, in the midst of all the confusion looked at Jesus in the face. I just picture him right here before COVID, you know what I mean? And he looked at him and said, what is truth? He was looking at truth. He was looking at the truth and he said, what is truth? The world today is walking around and they're saying, what is truth? I'm going to tell you, Christian, we've got the answer. We don't have to wonder what is truth. God's Word is truth. Let us not, let us not neglect it. And in this hour and in this day, let's be reminded that we need truth now more than ever. We need to come back to God's Word. We need to come back and say, Lord, this is what I need more than anything else. I need to grow in my walk with You. I need to be able to be faithful to You. God, I need truth today. Another sad story was a man named... Uh, Agrippa. Paul was brought before the magistrate and he was bound and he was questioned and, and he shared with them truth and he told them about Jesus. And, and the Bible said that they were pricked in their heart and instead of believing, King Agrippa said this, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Don't leave saying almost. Listen, there's only one truth. There's not many ways to heaven. There's only one thing that will, that will truly transform a life, and that's Jesus Christ today. Don't leave thinking almost. In April 1988, the evening news shared of a, a photographer who was also a skydiver. He jumped from a plane on numerous times just to film uh, uh, those skydivers who did aerial acrobatics. And as in this particular time, he was going down and he was filming. Everything was normal. And, and you know, the whole team jumps out first and he jumps out last. And, and he's got his camera and he's shooting all that's happening on the way down. And as he's, as he's filming, he's watching them doing their aerodynamics. And, uh, and, and he's just watching and, and he's filming, enjoying his time and not ever thinking anything about it. And the, finally, the last skydiver pulls his ripcord, his parachute, it opens. And he just starts sailing down. And the photographer reached back and he grabs... For his parachute, the ripcord is gone. There's no parachute. In his haste to jump out of the airplane, he had forgotten to put on his parachute. The film continued rolling. At that moment, you saw the, the, the film get very shaky and rocky, and, and as, he, as he plummeted to the earth, he was killed on impact. You see, he was trusting in a parachute that was never there. He was trusting in something like this worldly wisdom that he thought it was going to get him safely there, but it wasn't there. And today God is reminding us so vividly that you can't trust in the worldly wisdom. It is insufficient. It's not enough. It's not enough to say, God, there's some sort of a mystical huge balance out there in heaven. And you're going to put all my good works on this side and all my bad works are going to be over here. And whichever one's heaviest, that's the one that's going to weigh up. That is not biblical. It is not what God's designed. He said that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but everlasting life. You see, that's what God did. He didn't come up with some sort of a mystical scale. We did that. That's worldly wisdom. But God said, listen, I'm going to send my son to die for you in your place because the wages of sin is death. That's what it costs us. And as we see this, all the wages, all, you know, if, if I just sinned once in my life, which I'm going to say I have not just sinned once. If I just sinned once and the rest of my life I live perfect, 
The rest of those good works would never outweigh that one evil thing. Because God is holy. He's separate from sin. And so all those who have never accepted Jesus as their Savior, the Bible says, will experience the second death. And Revelation chapter 20 and verse 14 describes that for us beautifully. And it says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. And this is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Nothing outside of the death of Jesus Christ, who is the eternal Son of God, is sufficient payment for the accumulation of sins that you and I have committed. This payment for our sins is offered as a gift for you today. But like any gift, you must accept it. You must come and accept it unto yourself. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10 demonstrates how we can accept that. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Listen, you can be saved today. You can leave the world's wisdom and come over here and stand with God, with, with God and with Daniel and say, but there is a God in heaven and I put my faith in Him alone. His name is Jesus Christ. 